Hello and welcome to Zip Files, a weekly television news catch-up show. As per usual, I'll be catapulting 10 bits of interesting tech news at your eardrums. Stay tuned for such scoops as Donald Trump's ridiculous bumblings in China, Twitter's new approach towards abusive tweets, and Amazon Alexa's personality. That's right, the smart speaker has a personality. And, spoiler, she's an ESFJ for any Mize Briggs fans out there. That feast of newsworthy news will have at its core this week a long listen on quantum computing. I'll explain what on earth quantum computing is, why we need it, and how it will help us to solve impossible problems. Of course, I won't be imposing myself for the whole 20 to 25 minutes. My friend Archie is with us this week to offer respite from my tech assault. I'm Archie. I'm 19. I currently work as a programmer, and I've been a tech geek for pretty much all my life. What a man. All right, let's get all caught up with the world of tech. A few weeks ago on the Zip Files, we asked the question, how safe is Uber? And concluded that we can't know because the ride-hailing company does not release data on the matter and silences victims through a process of forced arbitration. In a positive step towards transparency and common decency, Uber said on Tuesday that it will allow victims of sexual assault to pursue compensation in open court and the victims will no longer have to sign a confidentiality agreement. In the same announcement, Uber committed to releasing the data on sexual harassment and assault incidents that have occurred in their cars. Whilst there is no specific release date, we can expect to have the stats in our hands within a year. Kudos Uber! In other ride-hailing news, Lyft claims to have captured one-third of the US market, and Didi Shuxing, the Chinese Uber, have removed a feature that allowed for drivers to rate their passengers on attractiveness after a rider was murdered. Yes, that might be just the stupidest feature I've ever heard of. If you've got a company and your top executives start leaving, it might be time to start packing an overnight bag so that you can run away to the wilderness when everything collapses. Tesla, Elon Musk's electric car company, is bleeding top executive talent by the gallon. A baker's dozen have left in the last year, and left stock options on the table by doing so. This suggests that they know something, that those stocks aren't worth hanging around for, because, although they are at an all-time high now, they might soon be worthless. Or at least that's what the mass exodus implies. People don't traditionally jump ships if they're on a steady one. The main man Musk has made his excuses in a memo to employees, and I quote, To ensure that Tesla is well prepared for the future, We've been undertaking a thorough reorganization of our company. As part of that reorg, we are flattening the management structure to improve communication, combining functions where sensible, and trimming activities that are not vital to the success of our mission. Maybe that is true, but if it's not, and it smells like a fishery in June, then it might be time to start writing Tesla's obituary. What do you believe in? Oh, um, I mean, to be fair, like quite recently, uh, I've I've been reading a lot about like, not to go too deep here. I've been reading a lot about like quantum physics stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
uh, to be fair, I don't really believe in anything right now. <laughs> um, my whole, my whole sort of whole past 19 years of my life have kind of just been brought into question. Twitter announced on Tuesday that it would be significantly changing the way that it prioritises content on the platform. In an effort to stop the spread of misinformation and abuse, the algorithms will no longer evaluate tweets in isolation, but instead look at the behavioural profile of the account to which those tweets belong. So, if you've been a jerk in the past, then your 140-character soundbite will be less likely to appear in the feeds of the Twittersphere in the future. It's the biggest change the company has made to date in their effort to promote healthier conversation. It's also a tricky one to implement. If they get it wrong, then they could end up inadvertently censoring minority voices on the platform. The Vatican has warned nuns to beware the usage of social media. Whilst it is okay for nuns to use services like Facebook and Twitter, they should do so with, quote, discretion and sobriety, end quote so as to avoid degrading their ability for contemplation with, quote, noise, news, and words, end quote. The Vatican might only be speaking to nuns on this matter, but I think it's pretty solid advice for the rest of us too. By the way, Pope Francis knows what he's talking about. He's a modern tweeter himself, with over 17.7 million followers on Twitter. When a company is being birthed, it might often look to investors like venture capitalists for extra cash. But then along came such technologies as Ethereum, which allowed anyone to create their own coin on the blockchain. And so companies have been raising obscene amounts of cash by way of selling freshly minted coins that promise huge returns if the company succeeds. In 2017, startups raised over $5.6 billion through ICOs, and then in the first three months of 2018, ICOs raised $6.3 billion. It's huge business, and one that is extremely high risk. Not just because the vast majority of companies will fail, but also because a great portion of ICOs are just good old-fashioned scams. This week, the US Securities and Exchange Commission put up a fake ICO of their own called Howie Coins to educate people on the warning flags of fraudulent coin offerings. The website even boasts its own nine-page white paper that details the business case of Howie Coin. To be honest, I'm pretty sure if it was real, then it would have raised a quick buck. Such is the blind frenzy of crypto right now. Welcome to this week's Long Listen. We haven't got to where we are today because of our muscles. If you compare us to the rest of the animal world, our physicality is pretty hopeless. Linguist Derek Bickerton speaks of the haplessness of early humans, and I quote, It is more than likely that some of our ancestors suffered the ignominious fate of being eaten by weasels. Some of them, it's pretty certain, were eaten by birds, end quote. I mean, come on, that's pretty sad. 
getting eaten by a lion has at least some degree of gravitas. Dying in the jaws of a weasel, now that's just embarrassing. So no, we aren't where we are today because of our muscles. We're here because of our brains. Evolution did great work. Our brains got bigger and bigger, and we became more and more like we are today. But our brains could only ever be so good and so big. After all, our mothers are bipedal and consequently endowed with narrow hips. Humans are not very well designed for large-headed babies. So for years we bumbled along with our pretty big brains, mostly content with our abilities as a species. Until along came computers, an innovation that revolutionized the horizon of what we could achieve. Computers extended our brains beyond our own biology and into silicon chips. The kind of computers that we use today are known as classical systems. They've been and continue to be fantastic. They allow for us to send rockets to space, communicate instantaneously with relatives across the world, and take belfies. Classical computing has been improving at an astonishing rate for the last half century. Every two years we've been able to roughly double the number of transistors that we can fit onto a microchip. Transistors are the fundamental building blocks of computing, the switches that control the flow of electrical input that allow for the binary on-off 0-1 system that is fundamental. So every two years we've been doubling our computing power, something we know as Moore's Law. But Moore's Law is slowing down. We're reaching the physical limits of what is possible. To cram more transistors onto a chip, we have of course been making those transistors smaller and smaller. Nowadays, we can get 4.3 billion onto a chip the size of a fingertip. The world's smallest transistors are now just one nanometer long. That's 500 times smaller than the diameter of a red blood cell. The thing is that when you get that small, things start to get real freaky. Quantum mechanics pops up and starts messing around. Basically, the transistors cease to be reliable due to something called quantum tunneling. What is quantum tunneling, you ask? Magic, young humanoid. It's bloody magic. In a nutshell, when a transistor wants to stop the flow of current and become a zero or adopt an off state, it puts a wall in the way. Walls are good at stopping things. Donald Trump wanted to build one to stop his people running away to Mexico. But Donald Trump's people aren't quantum particles. You see, quantum particles are magic. They can basically teleport through walls. That's what quantum tunneling is. Therefore, we can't just keep making transistors smaller because smaller transistors won't work. So great computer scientists had a bright idea. Instead of fighting quantum mechanics and its insanity, why not just build a quantum computer that takes advantage of the nuttiness? In fact, quantum computing promises to be amazing. To understand why, let's think again for a minute about classical computing. There are some problems that classical computers will never be able to solve. Take coffee. Inside of coffee is caffeine. Caffeine is a molecule. It's more complex than water, but less complex than a molecule of DNA or protein. To accurately model a caffeine molecule using today's computers is impossible. If you took every single atom in our galaxy and used them to build a classical computer, that computer would still be incapable of simulating a caffeine molecule, 
That's insane, isn't it? Quantum computing will make this possible. So why will quantum computers be so powerful? It boils down to two technicalities. One, quantum particles possess something called superposition. This means that they can be in all of their different possible states at the same time. That is, until we observe them, at which point they are forced to pick a state. In a classical computer, we represent data as bits. Each bit can either be a 1 or a 0. In a quantum computer, we represent data as qubits, or quantum bits. Each qubit can be both 0 and 1 at the same time, due to the wonders of superposition. So, in a classical system of 4 bits, there are 16 possible variations of 0 and 1, and the bits can only represent one variation at a time. In a quantum system, 4 qubits can be in all 16 of their possible variations, at the same time. Take that to just 20 qubits and your system could simultaneously hold over 1 million values. This is truly parallel computing and totally revolutionizes the way that we can solve problems. And then there's a second technicality. Quantum particles can be entangled, something Einstein called spooky action at a distance. Once you have entangled two quantum particles, they will behave in the sum opposite way to their entangled partner. That means that when we observe one of the particles, it will pick a state, and the other particle will instantaneously choose the opposite state, and I mean instantaneously. So, if one spins in a downwards direction, the other will spin in an upwards direction. And this behavior isn't limited by distance. You could entangle two quantum particles and then separate them by a distance of light years, the crazy thing is that when you observe or change one, the other will still instantaneously react. We don't fully understand why or how, but it's just the way the quantum world works. This entanglement means that read-write operations will only have to be done on one of the two qubits that you want to know about or change. These superpowers will allow quantum computers to reach into the bag of previously unsolvable problems and solve a whole host of them with ease. The implications for progress in fields such as medicine, cryptography, chemistry, and artificial intelligence are immense. That's right, you thought AI was scary. Well, wait until those AI have quantum brains. So how far away are we from quantum computers? Well, last year IBM released a 15-qubit system. The things that you can do with 15 qubits are relatively trivial, uh, basically nothing interesting, but it is thought that we can start tackling meaningful problems somewhere in the region of 20 to 100 qubits. Now, IBM plan on releasing a 50-qubit quantum computer this year, and Google, well, they already have a 72-qubit system. The space is developing extremely fast, but don't go cracking open your celebratory KitKat just yet, because, well, qubits are crazy. They're like your aunt after a glass of Prosecco, extremely error-prone. Somewhere just under 10% of the time, they just say, bugger it, and fail to do their jobs. We're going to have to continue wrangling this error percentage down, but they'll always be a bit nuts. It's just in their nature. Expert humans think that to have a truly fault-tolerant, logical 100-qubit system, the quantum computer will actually have to contain 1 million qubits. 
that means that 10,000 qubits are needed to distill a singular logical qubit from the sum of their madness. We've got a long way to go. But don't despair, that celebratory KitKat will be making its way through your gut in the not-too-distant future. Experts said in San Francisco this week that quantum computers will be capable of important real-world applications within a mere five years. Around 3.85 billion years ago, life was born on Earth. Life that was simple and took many years of Darwinian evolution to become intelligent. Then we popped up, having crawled out of the seas some 400 million years ago, and into the trees, and then down onto the ground to stand on two legs. Our brains stewarded us to where we are today. They've been good to us. We no longer get eaten by weasels. But there are problems that only computers can solve. And there are problems that only quantum computers can solve. I'll leave you with a quote from the father of quantum computing, Richard Feynman. Nature isn't classical, damn it. And if you want to make a simulation of nature, you'd better make it quantum mechanical. And by golly, it's a wonderful problem because it doesn't look so easy. If your five-year-old self suddenly found themselves inhabiting your current body, what would your five-year-old self do first? Um, <laughs> besides freak the f*** out. Um, <laughs> can you imagine the trauma? Yeah, it would be pretty traumatic. I think it'd be, it'd be, once you get over the shock, I think it'd be great fun. You could, you know, imagine a five-year-old and you give them money, the ability to drive. Like you could... I could just like run off somewhere and like just have the complete enjoyment of a five-year-old. Yeah. So you reckon your five-year-old self would be mature enough? I yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> I mean, put it to the test and we'll see. But I, I like to think so. I think it would. I think I'd. I think I'd manage. I'd get by. You know. No way. I would literally just like murk myself day one. <laughs> What does Merc mean? What? I don't know, just like accidentally just like step on a landmine or something. <laughs> Alexa might not be a real person, but Amazon's smart speaker has got a unique personality. At least that is according to an internal document at Amazon. Our robotic personal assistant is said to have a crush on celebrity Benedict Cumberbatch and place as an ESFJ, ESFJ on the popular Myers-Briggs personality scale. So, what can we expect from an ESFJ? Well, according to a website I found on the interwebs that looks like it was created by someone well, well versed in 90s web design, an ESFJ is a caregiver. They are warm, energetic, take their responsibilities very seriously, and love people. Oh, and also they are said to, and I quote, use their sensing and judging characteristics 
to gather specific detailed information about others and turns information into supportive judgments, end quote. Yeah, well, supportive judgments or dollars. A few weeks ago, the US Commerce Department banned American companies from selling to giant Chinese telecom equipment maker ZTE Corp. This put ZTE in dire straits and would have soon been the death of the company. But China won't let that happen, and trade talks between the countries are said to now be conditioned on resolving ZTE's situation. Consequently, and in a characteristically schizophrenic reversal, Trump tweeted last Sunday that he and Chinese President Xi Jinping are, and I quote, working together to give massive Chinese phone company ZTE a way to get back into business fast. Too many jobs in China lost. Commerce Department has been instructed to get it done, exclamation mark, end quote. If you run a giant cybersecurity company and want people to trust you, then it's probably a bad idea to be based in Russia. At least that's the thinking of Kaspersky, who are moving some of their key operations to Zurich from Moscow. This will allow their products to be fully vetted by third parties before being shipped off for use around the world and will put the company's data out of reach of the Kremlin. Russian spies are the losers here and privacy the winner. What inanimate object do you wish you could eliminate from existence? Oh, um... Oh, that's good. Uh, fanny packs, alright. <laughs> they're like, they're not even that practical. They look horrendous. It's just, it's just, it's just for kids to smuggle drugs into festivals. Like, let's be real. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... I, I see. I see no positives to those things. I could have said something like nuclear weapons. Um, <laughs> you could have. That, that would have been. That would have been quite nice. But, uh, <laughs> no one um, has ever thought of that yet. Oh man. Uh, no, I stand. I stand by my answer. I think. I think fanny packs have done more more uh, bad to the world than nuclear <laughs> weapons. Fair enough. Last week, the members of British Parliament said that they might compel Mark Zuckerberg to testify over the Cambridge Analytica scandal if he travelled to the UK, to which a Facebook staffer replied this week that Zuckerberg has no plans to visit the UK. Touché. Whilst Mark might be a hard man to track down, it does appear that he's serious about change. This week, in an unprecedented display of transparency, Facebook revealed that they have banned over 583 million fake accounts, in the last three months. That's a lot of people making a lot of fake girlfriends. And then on Thursday, Facebook said that they would partner with the Atlantic Council and more specifically, work with the council's cyber forensic team to fight election-related propaganda and misinformation on the social network. If you want to better understand how hard this task will be, then take a listen to last week's long listen or read about it on the Zipfars' medium. If you've been on the internet in the last year, then you will have seen a lot of hullabaloo around something called net neutrality, which is basically a law that stops internet service providers from throttling speeds and charging higher prices for better, more complete services. Net neutrality is seen by many as fundamentally important to the democratic nature of the internet. The Federal Communications Commission ruled to overturn the law a while back, which is really quite sad. This week, the US Senate voted to stop the FCC from doing this, but it doesn't mean all that much, 
as the move is unlikely to pass the House or be signed by President Trump. The real battle will take place in federal court once the repeal of net neutrality has taken effect on June 11th. And it's done. (laughs) It's over. You can open your eyes now. Take it all in. Hopefully the tech world around you makes a bit more sense. You're all caught up. If you enjoyed the show, then please share the zip files with a friend. If you hated it, then please share it with an enemy. Also, sorry to be hashtag that guy, but if you're feeling bright and breezy, happy and friendly, then rating the zip files five stars on Apple Podcasts would help me out massively. I love you all. Until next Sunday, enjoy your oat milk lattes and have a great week. Bye.